Hi, this is Bobby Whitlock. And I'm Coco Carmel. Welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour. This is Kudzu Radio Hour number one. Ah, let's try that again. Number 142. This podcast was recorded on Saturday, February 27th. Hey, only one more day in the month. God, this is a short month. February 27th, 2021. Oh, yeah, we got some stuff coming up today, man. We're going to talk about great rock and roll movies and great rock and roll movie soundtracks, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's going to be fun. The program is brought to you, as always, by our friends at Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh chicken, responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids. No animal byproducts ever, ever, ever get more information or order online at springermountain.com, springermtn.com. Not only is Springer Mountain chicken healthier for you, but it also tastes superior. It really does. It's so good. We want to thank uh, our other sponsor. Yeah, the rockiness band that you ever heard. The Boxmasters, baby. I love the Boxmasters. Based out in Los Angeles, uh, the drummer singer is uh, during the day, uh, his day job. He's a, a famous actor named Billy Bob Thornton. But then at night, he somehow, somehow transforms, you know, by some magic fairy dust or something into Bud Thornton. Bud and uh, J.D. Andrew co-write songs that are just outstanding. They've done a pile of albums over the past 13 years. Um, the latest one, it might be the best one yet. It's called Light Rays, and you need it. Uh, great songs on there like Satellite Guy, Breathe Easy, the title track Light Rays, a uh, uh, song called Learn to Be. I mean, the whole thing is wonderful. You can order the album and find out more. You can order it on CD, vinyl, or download. You can find out more at theboxmasters.com. Yeah, theboxmasters.com for more information. Also, I implore you to <laughs> implore you. I implore you to um, check them out on Instagram, Box Boxmasters official uh, Instagram account. It's cool. Uh, there's a brand new issue of Kudzu Magazine out, number 41, with a cover story and interview with Freddie Salem from the Outlaws. Also, we dig into classic Kudzu uh, to interview we had years ago with Alabama songwriter Peanut Montgomery. Uh, there's even an interview or story on yours truly, Michael Buffalo Smith, done by writer Tony Pijar articles on unreleased albums so much more just all kinds of stuff in the current issue the biggest issue we've ever put out it's over 90 pages and it's free 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 uh just go to www.kudzumag.com and that's right uh so all that being said what i want to do to kick the program off is i'm going to play a snippet of an interview uh, I did uh, at some point, maybe a couple of years ago, with the great Bobby Whitlock, who was the, uh, you know, 
uh, Derek and the Dominoes, it was Eric Clapton and Bobby Whitlock uh, wrote the songs and Bobby sang a bunch of them. Great keyboard player, singer, and still at it. I, I, uh, I recommend that you watch his video series. He's been posting with his wife, Coco, on YouTube. Uh, really cool stuff. But I'll play the snippet of how he, uh, where he told me how he wrote, uh, why he wrote the song Thorn Tree in the Garden, which is the last song of the Layla and other sort of love songs. And right after that, we're going to go ahead and hit it uh, with by playing Thorn Tree in the Garden. And then we will be right back uh, with the gang, okay? So that's it right there. Ain't no doubt about it. You know, but uh, when I was living in, at the plantation in, in the valley, when I first went out to California, I was I just uh, turned 17. And um, I had a little dog and um, a cat. <clears throat> and they, uh, we had to, uh, um, I mean, we're looking at J.J. Kale, and Pat's camp living out back, me, uh, Indian Ed Davis, uh, a one-legged dude named Billy D from Tulsa, uh, Chuck Blackwell downstairs when he was running women in and out of there, and then Jimmy Carstein living up, in, upstairs in another room, and that place was just completely full of, of, uh, at all times, you know. It, it was just in one door and out the next, and there really wasn't room for a cat and, and a dog. And uh, he told me, uh, um, the guy that was uh, looking after the place, he said, uh, hey, man, you know, you're going to have to do something about the cat and the dog. We, can't, we, have, we don't have room for it. I said, that's cool. So I called Delaney and um, told him I couldn't keep my dog and cat there. And, and, and he, he said, well, uh, Mama would probably like to have peaches, and that was my cat. And so he came to pick me up. Why he just didn't pick the cat up, I don't know. But he put me and the cat both. And anyway, that's a there's a good story behind that one. But uh, uh, she got all excited and let herself go in the car in the heat and uh, in a traffic jam on, on the freeway going out to Hawthorne. To, and the boy, it was hot. Too. It was bad. I took all my clothes off, threw them out the window. Anyway. Uh, uh, showed up at Delane's house. Mama was there waiting on us. It was a sight, me and my underwear, my zip-up boots, you know, my Ray-Bans. That was it, you know. Delaney gagging, coming out the driver's side. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it paints a picture, doesn't it? Peaches up in the back window of the 67 Vol Volkswagen, you know. <laughs> no air conditioning, you know, on the interstate. But, uh... Yeah, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. But um, I went back, and, uh, and I've I, I got some clothes at Lane's house and went on back to my place in the valley. And, and this guy had taken my dog and gotten rid of her. You know, he took her away while I was gone. And I, he, I just assumed, you know, all these years that he just took her and gave her to somebody, you know. But... Um, I didn't know then what had happened, you know. I just got back and my dog was gone. And um, he told me that he'd gotten rid of her for me. And man, it just broke my heart. 
And I went in the bedroom and cried. And I took my dobro and started playing the three chords, you know, the, of, of, the, of the four that I knew. And uh, just whatever I was feeling about my, my dog, uh, that came forth in that song. And I'm uh, just like that, you know, it just came out. And I got the dobro sitting in the living room. But um, I went into the kitchen. I told him, I said, hey, man, come here. Let me play you this. And, and I played him uh, Thorn Tree in the Garden. And he said, damn, Bobby, that's about, about the most beautiful song I ever did here. And I told him, I said, well, I'll tell you right now, one of these days, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the opportunity to record this. And um, when you'll, you'll know when you hear it that, that it was you that was a thorn tree in my garden. And um, I, I did little did I know that it was going to be on one of the biggest records of all time. You know, little did I know that. You know, uh, he was just doing something. He was trying to help me. You know, now um, thought he was doing the right thing. But yeah, that was a that that song was about my little dog. But this that is uh, love is love, man. There ain't no. You know, there ain't no uh, mama love, daddy love, brother, sister, cat love, dog love, you know, bird love, you know, m my love, your love, his, hers. No, -uh, there ain't but one love, and that's the, God's love, and that's all there is to it. And that's that one love that we all share. So uh, all these years, uh, people have you know, thought it was about a girl and, and a guy. And it was uh, about a female and a male, well, a little dog and me, you know. But uh, it's, it's all the same thing. And, and it made it actually, when it, it came to light that that was the story of Thorn Tree in the Garden, the pe uh, people, uh, it, it made it even that much more endearing to them, you know. They, they even uh, related to it even that that much more, you know. Uh, so uh, it was pretty amazing how how things evolve, you know. Uh, There's a thorn tree in the garden, if you know just what I mean, and I hate to hurt your feelings, but it's not the way. I miss her She's the only girl I've cared for The only one I've known And no one ever shared my love And we alone And I miss her But it all seems so strange to see She'd never turn her back on me And leave without a last goodbye And if she winds up walking the streets Loving every other man she meets Who'll be the one to answer why Lord, I hope it's not me If I never see her face again, I'll never hold her hand. And if she's in somebody's arms, I know I'll understand. But 
Right, that was from that's the last song on the Layla and other sorted love songs. One of, probably my number one album of all time in my mind. <laughs> uh, Bobby Whitlock singing Thorn Tree in the Garden, if you know just what I mean. And of course, he told the story right before that of how he came to write that song, which is uh interesting because uh, you would you would think it was about a woman, but no, it was about a dog. <laughs> pretty interesting you know a pet lover a big time pet lover but anyway uh all that being said uh i'd like to introduce you to the other guys um my name of course is mud uh, i'm excuse me my name is michael buffalo smith and we've got coming in from massachusetts weighing in and i don't know what is uh billy eli up there what's up man how are y'all today fair to partly cloudy thank you and all the way from Austin, Texas, where uh, I hear that the deep freeze is going away, hopefully. Uh, Patrick, Beach, and Jim. I like to call him Jimmy Hemphill. He loves that. I'm sure, he, does. I'm sure he does. The Just only like thing the... he likes better than that is if you call him Jimbo. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, call him Jimbo. And if anybody calls me Mike, I usually feel I get a gag reflex going. I can't stand here. It's Michael. It's not Mike. Or it can be Buffalo or Buff or anything. Just not Mike. Just uh, tell them they have to buy you a beer if they call you that. That makes perfect sense. In fact, just buy Why me not? a beer for any no reason at all. That's even Buy me better. one even if you don't call me Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Call me Mike again because I need another beer. Um, anyway, all that being said, which is my favorite thing to say, and I guess you gathered that. I'm trying to get to the other screen while I'm stalling. Um, yes. Um, kudzu. Kudzu Radio Hours on the air. Bum, 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 bum. It's time to play that game. High Fidelity. Here's our theme song now. High Fidelity. Okay. Thank you, Bill Murray. Um, the, uh, I'm, I'm out of my mind and I'm not even on drugs. That's the thing. I wish I was. Um, today, I would like to ask you guys a simple question. Everybody, what you got there, Billy? I can't see it. They're THC enhanced gummy bears. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> 
I've been like doing the liquid lately and just put a drop on my tongue and go, oh, dude. Um, anyway, the, um, see, and that's why they say it'll make you lose your uh, memory. So uh, I, now I don't even remember what I was going to say. Um, oh, high fidelity. Here it is. That's Billy. That's Jim. I'm Patrick. Oh, really? Yeah, Does that sure, help? Sure you are. Sure you are. <laughs> sure you are. Or you could be aliens pretending. And, and, and uh, who am I? <laughs> Uh, who am I? All right, man. High what's fidelity our, question. High fidelity? Uh, it, it, we've all heard songs that, you know, you never, it, before you knew what the lyrics actually were, you heard it and you thought that they were saying something else. It's called misheard lyrics. That's actually called, those are actually called jamboozles. Okay, that's a fancy word that I don't want to try. Those to are called jamboozles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to date a couple of jamboozles, so I know. Um, I don't even know what that means and don't care. But you're talking uh, about stuff like there's a bathroom on the right, right? Yeah, that's what that's like my one of my favorite ones. But that's like the, that's like the most famous one ever. Well, see, Billy's already well, you already given one. You got another one, or is that yeah? That no, I, I got one. That, this is funny. I actually heard a cover band doing this one time in the eighties and they had, they, this was in Southeast Texas. So, you know, that let, let's use that to set the stage. And, uh, y'all remember, uh, I, I don't even know exactly what genre of music you would call him. It was kind of rock. It was kind of pop. It was kind of, uh, Caribbean, uh, Billy Ocean. Remember him? Oh God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. Get out of my uh, dreams. Get into my get car. into my car. Right. Uh, he had a song called Caribbean Queen. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That I heard a redneck cover band do, and they thought he had been saying Caribou Twist, <laughs> and that's what, and that's what they were singing. Dude, Caribou, Caribou Twist. twist. Oh, like, uh, yeah. Right. Whatever, man. So Whatever. yeah, that one didn't personally happen to me, but I did witness it as it happened. Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, Pat. Well, <clears throat> it's not mine, but I'm given to understand that a few people, <clears throat> a few people misinterpreted the worst rock and roll song of all time. You know what I'm talking about? We built this city, as it's saying. We, we built, built this. City. <laughs> we built. We built this city on sausage rolls. <laughs> That's great. So much, now, so much better. That's great. But you know, when they, I first heard they, it, yeah, I thought they should have actually done it. <laughs> when I first heard it, I, I could have sworn they were saying, "I built, we built fish city." Right. <laughs> and you know, if they actually had said sausage rolls, maybe one person on planet Earth might like that song a little bit. But uh, no such luck. Uh, uh, Jim, you got one. Yeah. Uh, remember that song, You Sexy Thing by uh, Hot Chocolate? Chocolate. Yeah. Miracles. You Sexy yeah. Thing. Yeah. The first 80 or so times I heard it, first. I thought, what in the hell is a Malco? Because I thought he was saying, I believe in Malcos. And I'm Malco. like, what? I, I don't even know if I believe in them or not because I don't know what they are. <laughs> the hell's a Malco? Uh, so, and then I listened a little more closely and I'm like, Oh, miracles. Well, hey, see, that, okay. another, that, another, uh, uh, Caribbean band, uh, they were Jamaican. And, uh, I think a Malco is the kind of jewelry that you wear, the costume you wear when you're doing the Caribbean twist. 
Yeah, that yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I, I saw, Malcolm. I believe in Malcolm. Believe in Malcolm. Like, I believe that's in a, that's a, I thought. I thought that is one hell of a bold statement to get a hit record <laughs> talking about belief in something that I'd have never even heard of. I mean, you know, I thought maybe it was. So anyway, turns out it's not Malcos, but I'm. I'm I'd love to get that word in a song sometime about yeah, believing in Malcos, be just, yeah. because, just because. Malco, so. Malco, man. Yeah. I want to yeah, be the Malco, Malco man. <laughs> now, I've, I, I, you know, I used to annoy my my friends when I back when I had some um, <laughs> by 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 intentionally missinging uh, song lyrics. It's not that I misunderstood them, but I just thought. I could come up with betters, better ones, you know, like that. Do you know that song, Every Time You Go Away? Yeah. Uh, which I think Daryl yeah. Hall wrote, but Paul Young had a hit with. Paul yeah. Young, yeah. yeah. Every time you go away, you take a piece of meat with you. Oh, my God. I can't believe you're saying that because in college, my friend Clark used to sing that all the time because we would go, you know, we were on campus. So we'd go get dinner and they had like a, food bar where he make sandwiches and stuff mm -hmm. and he would, so like, so he would wrap up tons of turkey meat cheese and i'll put it in the pockets of his uh, army jacket take it back to the take it back to the dorm it was he would start singing that every time you go away you take a piece take of, a meat, piece with of you. meat with you yeah yeah Makes sense. You can read out probably, all of them, man. That, I used to like the uh, "Was I, I Died in Your Arms Tonight?" Must have oh, been yeah. something you said. You can perfectly match that with "I Died in Your Car Tonight." It must have been something you hit. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. And yeah. uh, and I told you, man, you can lay uh, uh, closer to my home. You, it's interchangeable with uh. Miami Sound Machines, come and shake your body, baby. Do that conga. There you go. You can, wow. I mix and match those verses with the choruses a lot. Golly. Man, man. I have, way, I have way too much fucking time on my Yeah, head. apparently so. <laughs> I have uh, the only one I'm going to say, you know, my I got that book that just came out with Paul Hornsby, and there's a story in there where Paul, before Capricorn, uh, he had a band. I think it's called sundown or something, but it, him and Chuck Lavelle and some other guys, and they were playing, you know, always playing the bars and stuff like that. And they would, they <laughs> did a lot of covers and a lot of Beatles covers and stuff, but, uh, you know, they played lady Madonna, but they were like this one night that some drunk came up and said, Hey man, I want y'all to play Nadine, my darling again. So, and then from then on, every time they would play the song, Chuck would sing, uh, Nadine, my darling, instead of lady Madonna. I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty fun. It's wacky. Uh, it's time now to move into that portion of the program called recommendations where we tell you what to listen to read or a sort of a, it's sort of like big brother watching except for our big brother is stoned out of his fucking mind. Um, I just wanted to say that it makes no sense, but I loved, I just wanted to curse. I love to curse. I just want to see if they're going to throw us off of anchor. <laughs> It'll be my fault by golly. Um, I fucked it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or Billy's. 
Um, recommendations. Let's see. Well, I've got mine, but I'm not going to go first. I want us to go. Let's start. I'm going to look at the screen. The first person I see is Patrick Beach. I got one. I got two. Jim and I were talking about the hold steady. At least we uh, drove by them uh, last week and, and how, you know, their songs are sing along songs. A lot of them are fist pumping anthems. Just last Friday, eight days ago, they put out a record called ODP open door policy. And uh, it's not that it's, it's a bit more subdued. It's a bit more uh, ambitious. It, it sounds like it was made in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, it is not stuck between stations or uh, sequestered in Memphis or anything like that, but it's also a really cool album. Of course, it being <clears throat> the product of Craig Finn's head. It's a deeply Catholic album about all these kids who take too many drugs and get in trouble, but I really, really like it. I've only spun through it about three times, but uh, if you're looking for it at the record store and everybody should go to the record store, the cover simply says THS, ODP. I like it a lot. It's probably not going to be my favorite Hold Steady record, but uh, but it suits my mood. Now, my second recommendation, Michael and I spoke about a little bit last night, and that is the brand new podcast that uh, yeah. our 44th president and Mr. Springsteen have out. It's called Renegades, Born in the USA, apparently because Obama is still trying to convince people that <laughs> he was, in fact, born in the USA. We all know yeah. the truth about that. There's only two episodes out yet, and I'm not sure if there will be more, but I sure hope they are because uh, they're, it, it turns out they're quite good friends, um, despite their different backgrounds and things like that. And uh, they don't get deeply, deeply, explicitly political, but they talk about things that are going on in the world and how things going on in the world have impacted and continue to impact uh, their lives from, for instance, the race riots in the late 60s that hit every major city and even Springsteen's little town of 10,000, Freehold, New Jersey, right. uh, uh, up to the present day. And, and uh, you know, they both really, really care about America and they both really seem to like each other. And the first one is not quite an hour. The second one, Michael, isn't more like 40 minutes. Or, yeah, it's probably it's yeah. right around that. Yeah, something good to listen to while you're sitting really at your desk, like good. I do all day, doing some work, doing some paragraph stacking. I enjoyed it very much. So that one, once again, is Renegades, born in the USA. And yeah. of course, of course, because it's Bruce Springsteen, he made Obama come to his house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we talked about that yesterday too. That yeah, that might have been Obama's idea. Man. Yeah, hey, let's, let's do it at your place, man. The well, House of a Thousand Guitars, right? Yeah, well, okay. I mean, you know, yeah. I was reading Barack's uh, latest, his, his, his biography, and, um, you know, what I gather is he just really is a rock and roll kind of guy, man. He just loves mm -hmm. music. He just loves, loves, loves all kinds of music. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And they're talking, I mean, and, and he's not a casual Springsteen fan either. He yeah. mentions, he mentions 41 shots, which was yeah, never released. Wow. Yeah. It, it was never released on an album and got him black bottled by cops all over the country for about 15 years. Um, and he also mentioned, you know, they're, they're one of the things that they talk about you two who haven't listened to it are great protest songs. And, yeah. And, and Obama says Maggie's Farm is a great protest song. I <laughs> never I never thought Obama would would uh, think of uh, Maggie's Farm as a protest song. But you would. It's, gr 
it's great fun. You don't have to like their music. You don't have to like Obama's politics. Um, it's just basically them relating to each other and BSing like we do as human beings. You don't even have to like the song Thunder Road. Um, <laughs> if you don't, there's something wrong with if you. If you don't, there's something wrong. It's one of my favorites of all time. That's beside the point. Um, okay. Um, recommendations, Jim. I, I, I heard about that podcast this week. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, so I, I don't mean to throw shade, but I just want to point out the irony of a former president of the United States and the biggest rock star in the world calling their podcast Renegades. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, the, uh, my, I, I, had, I have a policy on this show, which I will am sure to break someday uh, of not recommending a book until I finish it. And about, I don't know, three or four years ago on this podcast, I mentioned that I was working on Philip Norman's ago. book, uh, Paul McCartney, the life, which is, I think approximately, and I'm not exaggerating 370,000 words. Um, <laughs> it is enormous. And when the power went off here, a uh, week before last, my Kindle was charged up. So we had no internet, we had no TV, we had a radio with batteries. And so I picked up my Kindle and I slogged through the rest of the Paul McCartney biography by Philip Norman. And it's really good. Um, I think I think Philip Norman, uh, he, he also did Lennon's uh, biography before he did McCartney's. And apparently he got the reputation of being anti-McCartney. Uh, among a lot of McCartney fans because he liked Lennon so much, but his biography of Lennon was non-sparing. I mean, it had all of the mar uh, 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 miserable bastard stuff that Lennon did along with the brilliant creative art that he did. And so it, it was, it was a warts and all no punches pulled. And I didn't think it was unkind to McCartney at all. Uh, my bias, of course, well, I shouldn't say, of course, my bias is toward Lennon music, more than McCartney music, but McCartney is, is certainly a genius. Um, and this is a long freaking book, but it is very detailed. And I was wondering, reading through it, it's clear that this, that there are many sources that are very, very close to McCartney and it's not at a quote unquote authorized biography. There has been an authorized biography of McCartney where he had editorial control and that sort of thing. And this is not, but in the afterward, Norman, talks about how he came to write the book uh he found out from some sources that he called that Mc the word had gotten around to mccartney that that norman was writing this book and people close to mccartney would call mccartney and say hey this guy philip norman is calling me wants to talk to me what should i do and mccartney said look you can do whatever you want to but this guy's the real deal and if you want to talk to him it's okay with me oh. and from that, he got access to lots of people, including his longtime lawyer, who was Linda McCartney's brother, uh, talks a lot about the how the Beatles uh, came to break up and how Apple came to uh, fall apart and how lucrative it was that there was a small computer company in California called Apple that ended up buying the intellectual property of the Apple trademarks from tens of millions of dollars. Um, but that's just a little part of it. It, it, it. And it's not a, you know, it talks 
more about McCartney's post Beatles music than Beatles music. It's about half and half, about half. The first half is McCartney's life up through the breakup of the Beatles and the second half is post Beatles. Um, but I mean, there's been a lot written about the Beatles music. And so it's kind of surface level about music issues with the Beatles, but it's more about McCartney's life. And then it gets a little bit more into the music issues uh, with particularly the wings uh, era and the immediate post wings era up into the, about the nineties. And it goes all the way through his current marriage. Um, so it goes through his, his brief marriage and tempestuous divorce with Heather Mills as well. Um, but it's, you know, it's very even handed and McCartney emerges as a very complex character, as you, as you might imagine, who could, who can be uh, capable of incredible acts of kindness and then some very cold blooded business uh, uh you know, business decisions as well, but never as mean spirited as Lennon could be at times. So it's a, it's an interesting book, but I mean, either listen to it in audiobook or set aside a huge chunk of time. Cause it is, a, it, it is an epic, but it's, it's, I thought it was quite well done. So it's called Paul McCartney, the life by Philip Norman, not to be confused with, there's another book called Paul McCartney, a life, uh, which I have not read, but this is the life. And it's Philip Norman, who is a, uh, top-notch researcher and uh, and an effective writer and i think one of the you know the most even-handed rock biographers that i've read you know it's interesting that you mentioned that it was not authorized because sometimes a lot of biographers choose to go that way you may recall joe nick when he was doing his willy book he did not want it to be authorized because right. that gave him a, a certain freedom um and uh i've not read the book so mccartney did not speak with norman no he sp he spoke with Norman. What when Norman was had finished the first draft of the book, um, Norman told uh, McCartney's management that he had a line on McCartney's original Hofner base. McCartney had two Hofner bases back in the Beatles yeah, days. Yeah, and yeah. the first one that he bought, the first one he bought in Hamburg, has been lost for decades. And McCartney's manager set him up with a meet and greet, you know, before a show and. He said, hey, I think I might have found your base. I'll give your manager the information. And they shook hands. Yeah. And, and you know, Paul, he said, he said, you know, I've been living your life for several years. And, and McCartney said something like, well, I hope it was interesting. And, and Norman's comment was, I'm astounded at the work ethic. Yeah, because uh, and, yeah, and, no and they took a picture together and that was it. Yeah. So so I mean, I think it's the better book for not being authorized, but it's also I, the better book for McCartney telling his close associates. If you want to talk to this guy, go ahead. I, I'm, I don't have any out. problem. I right. don't have any problems. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Right. Sounds good. Uh, I've got like eight books stacked up that I'm reading right now, but I'm going to have to end up getting that one too. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, I'm a slow reader too. I wish I could read quicker, but I don't. I, I like, just don't want to miss anything, you know? Uh, and like Stephen King said, the devil's in the details, especially in his books. Um, anyway, sounds good. Uh, Billy. We have a recommendation this week, and it's an old movie that came out in. 1975 and um i've been watching this on youtube uh, jimmy buffett is doing this uh you know he had a like a greatest hits album called songs you know by heart yeah he's doing this he's doing this uh thing that in lockdown this kind of podcast thing like, like we're doing a video channel and it's called songs you don't know by heart and it's 
you know, his lesser known things. And he talks about his hits and he talks about it. it it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. He talks about how he got the idea for it and, you know, why he did it and how it came together and, and this and that. And he was somebody to ask him about, uh, I don't even remember which song it wasn't Livingston Saturday night. Cause that one was actually kind of a hit, but he had said, I was doing this soundtrack for this, uh, for this movie called Rancho Deluxe. It starred, uh, Jeff Bridges and Sam Washington. And, I've, I had a vague memory of, of that movie and had never seen it. And I thought, mm, I wonder if it's on Amazon. And, uh, you know, so I hit the little search thing and, hey, man, yeah, there it is. And it's free. And uh, it, it's kind of funny. It, it, it's more comical, but it, it, it had the feel of some of those weird 70s uh, kind of anti-hero movies. And, uh it's about two modern day cattle rustlers. And the, but the cast is great, man. Harry Dean Stanton and Slim yes. Dickens. And uh, I, I pretty much just gave the whole plot away. I mean, there's not, there's not just a whole lot of plot to it, but, uh, <laughs> uh. but it, but it's entertaining and the, and the, um, it's kind of freewheeling and, and it's fun. And, and the, uh, and the people in it, you know, are the kind of people that, you know, you were like, damn, man, I wish I knew people like that. And I could say I actually have known people like that. And it's way better in in a movie than it is in real life. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, yeah, uh, Rancho Deluxe, man. I got to hop on. I got to hop on here, Billy. I don't know if you can see what I what I had my screen flip to. But uh, uh, what would uh, one second here? Just yesterday, I was listening to the band Rancho Deluxe on Spotify. There you go. Wow. Wow. And I am, I'm old enough to remember the TV commercials for that movie. Yeah. I tell yeah. you what, man, it's worth watching just because almost everybody knows Sam Washington now, is, first of all, for his commercials and then for one of the, what was a crime show? He played the district attorney. Law and uh, Order. Long oh, yeah, that. yeah. That's what they're known for. He was great in this, man. And and he and he plays a cattle rustler. <laughs> well, I will say that any movie with Harry Dean Stanton, I will watch. Yeah, but, I pretty much will too, even if it's a bad movie. I even just uh, I just a new issue of Kudzu. I reviewed an album that he just put out uh with the cheap suits. <laughs> Live album. How long ago did he make it? Oh, uh, last year. I thought he was dead. Yeah, Harry Dean Stanton. Dead. He's he's yeah, he's been dead since he died in like 2017, 2018. Well, God, that just came out. We're still talking about Harry Dean Stanton, right? I didn't know he was dead. Yeah, yeah. He actually okay. it, uh, Jim, Jim, if he's if he's dead and he's still putting out music, we don't have any excuses for not finishing <laughs> our record. <laughs> uh, I didn't, yeah. Wow, he's uh he's yeah, he's putting out records from the grave that's that's yeah something. man but so is elvis <laughs> yeah well yeah anything that that's of course elvis was the king so you kind of expect that with well, well that's true that's true and harry dean stanton of course was the host of saturday night live the episode the replacements were on so really there you go. well that's yeah. another feather in his cap well and certainly jim would know one of the one, yes, of, my, of, one of my favorite movies paris texas written by sam shepherd and Harry was the star of that. 
That I mean, was, it, that was the best weird movie yeah, ever, and I, and I liked right, it, man. Right. All that screen time, and he had what, man? What about, out of the whole movie, he had about four minutes. Yeah, it was like it goes like an hour or an hour and ten minutes before he says a word. Uh-huh. Yeah, a lot. A lot of it at first is just him walking. It's just walking, yeah. And I was sitting there going, "Why am I watching this?" I, I just knew. There would be a payoff, so uh, I kept watching. That okay. was, man, that was a great cast in that movie, too, man. I'm excited to tell my recommendation, which uh, this came in the mail the other day from uh, Jill Kettle, publicist, for review. It's the new album from uh, Mr. Uh, Jason Ringenberg. Uh, of nice. Hey, nice. Yeah, you were talking about that yesterday. It's called, uh, here it is, it's called, rhinestone lean, lean it forward man it's yeah leading into like, your gold record there there you go rhinestone and he they enclosed two stickers and a postcard uh and they say on there everybody must get rhinestone <laughs> but anyway uh played it several times and um some of the songs that he's written there are so good. One of my favorites is the Freedom Rides Weren't Free about the Freedom Riders in the 60s. That's just a really, really well-written song. He's got one called Nashville Without Rhinestones. It's good. Um, and one thing that blew my mind was he does a song that we had in our Baptist hymnal at church. <laughs> Christ the Lord is risen today. Yeah, it starts out the first part of it, you know, like he does uh, quite often, like with Broken Whiskey Glass, starts out straight, just singing uh, the uh, first refrain of the song, and then it kicks, the band kicks in, and he turns that hymnal song into a damn punk song. It's just wonderful. Um, oh, another thing is when I was, uh, you know, going into iTunes or Apple music or whatever the hell they call it now to, uh, copy the CD onto the thing. It automatically listed this album under the category of punk. And hmm. I'm like, no, uh, he's the King of Americana, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, he used to be kind of a punk, uh, great songs, uh, stoned on rhinestones, <laughs> window town uh oh i love this one a one called i rode with crazy horse and it is just a great really really great song but to top all this off by the way we're getting ready to go into a break and play a song so i thought why not play the freedom rides weren't free by jason ringenberg right so we're going to do that we're going to play that We're going to play that, and then we're going to come right back with the meat and potatoes portion of the program where we talk about rock and roll movies and stuff like that. Uh, Okay. Here he is, Jason, without the scorchers, but still good. Uh, I mean, Jason. Still scorching. Still scorching. Still scorching because he's he's scorching. I love the scorchers, but I, I pretty much like everything that Jason's put out include his children's albums, everything. And all of that, I really like it when you meet somebody and they're genuinely nice. And when I met him at the Americana Music and we sat there and drank a beer, one of the nicest people I ever met. I'd seen him, I'd seen the Scorchers a number of times down in Athens. Uh, 
But back then, I didn't have the uh, kahunas to uh, go up and speak to him. And then when I was at the Americana conference, I thought I was a big, big shit, you know, because I had a magazine, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. I was just talking to everybody. And uh, there he was with his gold silk, gold silk shirt on and a straw cowboy hat. And I'm like, man, this guy's cool. So anyway, this is Jason and we'll be right back. Oh, folks, buy the album, uh, Rhinestone by Jason Ringenberg. I guarantee you're going to like it. Here it is now, Jason. Dun, dun, dun. Mr. 
to be The eyes of time stare back at us Like tired ancient hippies Echoes of those days now You will rarely hear Except from those that were there On either side so clear Jason Ringerberg and uh, a song called The Freedom Rides Weren't Free, which is so true. Really great crafted lyrics. Uh, I'm just tickled to death because uh, I've always liked that guy. That's really cool. So what we're going to talk about uh, today on the main uh, part of the uh, big show is the big show or the medium sized show, whatever, is uh, rock and roll movies it can be rock and roll movies in general or rock and roll movies soundtracks uh it's just you know it can be all documentaries like pat's gonna do or it can be <laughs> oh no, uh, i changed my mind oh okay uh, <laughs> I, i'm gonna do all documentaries though so I, I i pretty much was going to avoid documentaries because i on my shelf just on my shelf there must be a hundred and something freaking documentaries and i love them all but so i kind of just went with uh some of my favorite movies that you know incorporate music into them and all which is cool but uh anyway that's neither here nor there we're gonna go uh i go get a beer somebody else is gonna talk so let's see who's the most long-winded oh jim okay okay <laughs> go ahead jim rock it out all right. Well, I'll see if I can. Uh, I'll see if I can live up to that. Um, oh, you can. You're, honorific. You're, you're the king. You're, you're, the best, king of, you're the king of Austin. Uh, so, so we did talk about movies. You know, I don't know many episodes back, and I tried to remember what was on my list back then. And to the best of my recollection, my list was West Way to the World, the Clash documentary. This is Spinal Tap. That thing you do. Control the f biopic about. Uh, about Ian Curtis of, of Joy Division and Stop Making Sense, the, uh, the talk, great Talking Heads concert movie. So none of those are on my list. So, I, so that's my list of, of, of movies that aren't on my list. I'm doing all do rock documentaries uh, this time, and I'm starting with Standing in the Shadows of Motown, which is... God damn it. Thanks, maybe Jim. the... <laughs> Maybe the first of the genre that includes uh, the uh, the Muscle Shoals 
um, documentary, which I can't remember the name of it. It might just be Muscle Shoals. It's just Muscle Shoals. The uh, the Wrecking Crew documentary, I can't remember the name of it, which it might just be the Wrecking Crew. Um, but anyway, it talks a lot about the uh, the Motown house band that was played on all those hits, and especially the genius virtuoso bassist James Jamerson. Uh, who had died by the time the the documentary was made, but was just one of the greatest bass players of all time. It kind of kicked off this genre of the the musicians behind the big hits, and it's an excellent, excellent movie. Uh, so Standing in the Shadow of Motown is number one. Next one is the uh, documentary about one of my personal favorite bands of all time, and it is The End of the Century, the story of the Ramones. Um it's, you can tell how old it was because two Ramones were still alive when that when that documentary was finished. <laughs> but it was actually made before Johnny died. So there are interviews with Johnny. I think he died about when it came out. But it is, it's the story of a great groundbreaking band and how almost from the jump dysfunctional they were. Um, spoiler alert, none of them were actually brothers and none of them were actually named Ramones. So, uh, but anyway, they... They had lots of lots of tension, including Johnny, the guitar player, stealing Joey, the singer's girlfriend, away and marrying her. But they they stayed married for the rest of Johnny's life. So Johnny was a a hardcore conservative, and Joey was a hardcore liberal, and they had lots of uh, argument over that. And legend has it, and I don't know that Joey ever confirmed it, that Joey wrote the song "The KKK, KKK took, took, took Baby, baby Away" about <laughs> about. Johnny stealing his his girlfriend, but just the, that gets my vote. The Ramones had great song titles, right? I'm gonna, I don't know if the, gonna, I don't know if that story is true, but I'm going I don't either. to believe it. I don't it. either. I don't. I don't either. But right. I want. But I want it to be true, so I'm going. Yeah. With it. The Ramones had the best song titles ever, and to me, number one on just the title is the KKK took my baby away. It's got it's got rhythm. It's got meter, it's got rhyme, and it's freaking hilarious. The thing, the thing that I like, and this might be in the documentary. It's been a while since since I uh, watched it, but I know I read this somewhere. Is they said, you know, when we started writing songs, they were all negative songs, like "I don't want to walk around with you" and "I don't want to go down the basement" and all this. I don't want to do stuff. And they said we should write a positive song, so they wrote "Now I want to sniff, sniff some glue." Some glue. <laughs> <laughs> because that was their first that was their first positive song and it's just it's just it's it's a terrific it's a terrific movie and it's it shows a it shows a lot of dysfunction and it doesn't have that metallica thing where they all get a, a therapist and all come together and all feel better about their dysfunctions it's just uh it's just a it's just really great a great documentary about a great band now my next two documentaries are documentaries about bands i don't particularly like but I thought they were really worth watching and that held my interest. And the first one is Beyond the Lighted Stage, which is the documentary about Rush. And it came on uh, or I dialed it up or something. I can't remember how I started watching it. And I thought, oh, this isn't going to be. And my wife came in the room and she looked at me. And she says, are you watching a movie about Rush? Because, you know, great musicians, not my taste. Okay. Really? But the documentary was fascinating. I, I sat there and watched the whole thing. I really, really enjoyed it. What's uh, it called again? Beyond the Lighted Stage. 
Okay, which, I've been avo- I've been avoiding that, but if it got you, I'll, I'll give it a go. It has to be, and and I'm sure it was explained. I can't remember. That has to be a Neil Pert lyric. I mean, because that mm-hmm. just that just is a perfect yeah. encapsulation of how he wrote lyrics and may he rest in peace. Why I'm not the biggest fan in the world of his lyrics, but anyway, um, I just thought it was really interesting. Uh, you know, the, these uh, that uh, Alex Lifeson and Getty Lee are both. Uh, uh, you know, both Jewish kids, uh, sons of immigrants who grew up in Toronto and how they've been friends since childhood and they started bands and how Getty Lee got his name. I was, was just his grandmother, his name his is grandmother. His yes. grandmother could not say Gary. His name is Gary Lee Weinreb. I believe I got the last name right, but his grandmother could not say Gary. She pronounced it Getty. So he became Getty, and then he used Lee, his middle name, as his last name. And have, you Alex met, have, you ever, have you ever met a Jew who can't say Gary? Yeah. You know? I mean, well, <laughs> she was, you know, she was, they, they, they escaped the Holocaust. I think they were Polish. And so, she, you know, uh, English her, was her not their first language. Her accent didn't accommodate it. <laughs> her accent did not accommodate that. And Alex Lifeson is, I think, Hungarian. His family's Hungarian, and their, his name is not Lifeson. It's some unpronounceable thing by me. But anyway, so it, it goes through their uh, it goes through their uh, their history and how the, you know they toured opening with Kiss and you know they said Gene Simmons was off with twenty three groupies in his room and and the members of Rush were in their rooms reading after the show you know <laughs> and 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 they talk about their disastrous sartorial choices like when they decided they would all wear kimonos on stage during a you know during one period of their and that's the one time I saw Rush. They were their kimono stage uh, on the tour of the hemispheres in about 1978 or 79. So anyway, uh, it's really it's really worth watching. I, I really enjoyed it uh, beyond the lighted stage. Uh, and my next documentary is a band that I might have even more problems with than Rush. And that is the Eagles. But the history of the Eagles is a really fascinating documentary. And you cannot uh, understate their influence and importance, you know, millions and millions and millions of people loved that band and went to see them. And there was a lot of drama there. And they actually turned into a rock and roll band for a while after Joe Walsh joined them. Uh, so, you know, I, I found that I found it real interesting. It was, it was again, to me worth watching. It wasn't um, as surprisingly good. I sh- good it wasn't as surprisingly interesting to me as the rush documentary was but i didn't feel like i had wasted my time watching the eagles documentary because i had read somewhere that that you know you shouldn't just watch rock documentaries about bands you like and i thought why the hell not why would you waste your time watching a rock documentary about a band that you weren't a big fan of but the rush one changed my mind so i tried the eagles and it was worth it uh, i guess um so i'm giving it a qualified recommendation on my list My last one on my list is called A Band Called Death. It's a good one. It is about a completely unknown band out of Detroit in the early 70s called Death. And it was three uh, African-American brothers who were highly influenced by The Who and Alice Cooper and some of the Detroit stuff that was going on. And the promo posters say, before there was punk, there was a band called Death. And um, 
I, you know, they were kind of that Detroit proto-punk. I mean, they would have fit in with uh, the early Alice Cooper band and the MC5 and the Stooges. Um, and, you know, they de uh, steadfastly refused to change their name. Um, you know, they were trying, they were starting to make a few waves locally. And someone said, well, you can't be called death. I mean, come on. And they said, no, we're called death. That's what we are. And um, it's, it's, it's a really, really interesting look at, um, at this band that was absorbing these influences, um, you know, growing up black, of course, they, they had a lot of the, you know, and in Detroit, they had Motown and, and, and soul influences too, but they were really into the rock and roll. And um, of course they were, sons of a uh, Baptist preacher. So they had all that going on as well at the same time, kind of in this, in this vortex of, of, uh, of social unrest and musical evolution and, and revolution uh, going on in the, uh, in the late sixties and early seventies in Detroit. And, you know, the, ultimately they were not successful uh, commercially, but at least uh, artistically, they, they stuck to their guns and did what they wanted to do. Uh, and it's a real, it's, it's, it's definitely worth your time. A band called death. Um, it's, I think Patrick has seen it as well. I Terrific think it was put movie. out by, by it's draft house films here in Austin. Yeah. It is a doc. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, uh, it's, 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 it's really, really cool about a really cool, uh, unknown band that I had never even heard of before I watched the movie. So check it out. A band called death. That's I my think list. I think it got picked up for distribution when it was at one of the film festivals here. Is that right? It, yeah, I think Drafthouse Films put it out. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. so there you go. Oh, okay. That's good, man. That's good stuff. Um, how about you, Billy? All right. I'm going to do something different. I'm, I'm thinking they're not actually rock and roll movies. They're movies with good soundtracks. And let me just say... Some of the stuff in some of these soundtracks have bands that I really know very little about. And uh, it's Kip Times music I know very little about. It, it like Jim and the, and the thing with, with Rush where I, you know, I pay tribute to all these guys for being great musicians, great bands, great creative groups and, and all that stuff. But it's not... Uh, it's not anything that I, that I'm well versed in, or hell, man, even know enough to be to say I know minimally about it. I don't even know that much. Uh, but there, there are movies that even not being into that these particular types of music. When I saw the movie, I liked the soundtrack, even if I didn't, uh, even if I didn't. Uh, know who it was but the first uh the first one i'm gonna start with is not that way i'm gonna start with rock and roll high school it's got the best soundtrack ever it's the ramones it i think i saw that when i was like i don't know 15 it was the first time i had ever heard the ramones it was the first time i'd ever heard of them and and you know it's got the great uh rock and roll uh, it, you know, rock, 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 rock and roll. I still, you you can't coach writing lyric, lyric lyricism like that. That's right. I, not to mention that that movie had uh, a young girl that I just crushed on that PJ Harvey. 
Or is that PJ, her PJ, PJ Souls. Souls? Oh, PJ Souls, yeah. yeah. God, I she thought she was real, the cutest Riff girl. Randall rock. Riff Randall. Yeah, yeah, I thought she was the cutest girl I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, yeah, so uh, that was uh, number five. Uh, number four, uh, it was a movie, I think it came out in 2001 with Jennifer Aniston. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and Mark and uh, Marky Mark. <laughs> Yeah, I think Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg. One of the Wahlbergs. It was called Rockstar. Yeah, and, that's it. Yeah. And it was based on uh it was semi based on a true story of a tribute band singer that the a singer that was in a tribute band and the real life story they were a Judas Priest uh tribute band and when Rob Halford left that band somehow this singer got hooked up with Judas Priest and he became their, he became their new front man. Uh, in the movie, the, the, the band that, that uh, their, their front man is a, it's a fictional band called Steel Dragon, but the uh, soundtrack, man, is a lot of stuff by Kiss and Ronnie James Dio and heavier stuff that was not well versed in but it was a really good soundtrack and uh and the music the music in it was really good uh of course you know i could list I, i'm not gonna pick any of these but any of the christopher guest mockumentary bands spinal tap uh uh mighty wind that what I really liked about that, those guys really play those instruments and they really wrote those songs for that. And, you know, and they're just that's quality stuff. I mean, it, it's meant to be funny and it is, but but it's still, it's great music. Uh, my, my next pick is a movie that came out in 92 and this doesn't have anything. The movie itself didn't have very much to do with the... Uh, Music business, except in, in the movie, one of the characters played by Matt Dillon was in a band. The movie was uh, starred uh, uh, Keira Sedgwick and, and Matt Dillon, and the only other uh, actress, uh, uh, Bridget Fonda. It's a movie called Singles. And and uh, Paul Westerberg had three or four songs, and he, he wrote the score, but yeah, he had a couple of really four, good ones, too. Yeah, and that was uh. That was at the height of the Seattle guns thing, and so you know it, it had like sound uh, contributions on the soundtrack, like Soundgarden, and and uh, and again, that kind of music is is it's like you and Rush, Jim, oh, me and Rush too, but <laughs> but, uh, but you know, not my cup of tea, but it was a really uh. It was. It was still. It was a real soundtrack, and the and the, the music in it really fit the movie. And uh, and then my last one. I'm gonna uh, harken back to my choice for uh, this week's recommendation. The that Jimmy Buffett soundtrack from Rancho Deluxe. I had forgotten that he had written all those songs, and you know he's one of those guys that uh, you know being songwriters people. He, he sometimes gets a lot of flack, you know, for being popsy or, I don't know, being sentimental or whatever. But man, he's a hellacious good songwriter. And it, it's, a, it's a good soundtrack. And, uh, 
you know, a lot, a lot of stuff that went on radar at the time because that was in 75 and he just had Mar Margaritaville broke. And then, you know, and then after that, it was all just A-sides. <laughs> you know, his B-sides kind of got, got lost in the shuffle there. But those are my choices. And, Pat, uh, yeah, I picked Rock and Roll High School was one of my uh, – I picked movies based on their soundtracks. Yeah, and right. So I did that one, and I did Rockstar from, from 2001 about the tribute singer that gets the and and uh and yeah, and I had to do Roll High School because yeah, Ramones man, because it's the Ramones, and right. it w was a wonderful movie. I remember when it opened, being in the theater, and there were three of us in the theater. <laughs> three people and i was like oh well this is not a huge seller but they had it running through that lucas thx uh sound system oh, damn i bet that sounded great man, man. And, uh, i just i was getting off i mean i love the ramones anyway but i mean it was really cool well i'm gonna do mine and save pat i like to save pat to last so he can back clean up because he does such a great job and um also, making him last, you know, we all will like name all this other shit and then he ain't got anything left. <laughs> no, not this time. Not, not this, this time. time. No, no. And you you probably would not even mention any of my five. My five. I've, got, I've, I've got a list about as long as uh, Jim's Paul McCartney book. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah, you didn't you say that thing is like 300,000 pages? When you, when you started talking about long, I was afraid you were going to go back to Iggy. Thank you for that. No. Uh, no, 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 please, no, please. No. So in, so in rock and roll, so to get us off the topic, the one so thing to I speak, have to say this one thing I have to say about rock and roll high school is off, okay. that first scene that the Ramones are actually in when they're riding in the convertible, <laughs> yeah. uh, sing, singing. Now I want to have something to do, which, which rhymes second Avenue and chicken vindaloo, which is one of the greatest rhymes of all time. I just had to say, yeah. that. and the best scene in that ever was when Riff Randall was in the shower fantasizing about Joey Joy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and and the song, I think that was over the song. I want you around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. So good. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and do mine, and uh, uh, preface it by saying that some of mine are great movies, and some are more great soundtracks. Uh, and it's sort of hard for me to uh to uh see the difference actually. So, um, I will say that uh, the top two are the two rockinest movies that in my history that I've seen way too many times, way too many times, but I'm going to start with number five, a more recent, uh, 2018. I thought it was good. Uh, called Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, you know, about, uh, Freddie Mercury and queen. And, um, uh, I just, one thing about it, the actor, uh, uh, Rami, uh, Malik, uh, I believe was his name. Fantastic. Yeah. It was just a, he was, he embodied Freddie. They put that, the fake teeth in and everything. He became Freddie Mercury. Uh, and when they, re uh, when they reenacted the entire live aid show, he was doing every move that Freddie did. I mean, it was damn perfect. It was wonderful. 
and of course the soundtrack you know for excuse me i love queen i mean that i've loved them since queen one and queen two all way back just great stuff and uh brian may was an innovator on guitar he was I mean, well, you got you got that part right yeah he, he's a he's a terrific interview too oh god yeah oh wow i, I would love to talk to him I'm, I'm envious um my number four is a, a, a another movie that flashes me back to the great college days when we were watching just tons and tons of vhs movies clark my roommate clark nicholson came up with um went to whatever they called it. They may have called it Blockbuster Video then, whatever, where you go in and rent the VHS. But he had the uh, one called Erg, A Musical War from 1981. And it's basically, it's no talking. It's just one performance after another all put together. Um, with outstanding performances by, like early performance by the Go-Go's when they were more punk. Uh, also, the police in their early days. Oh my gosh, it was uh, so good. XTC, Gary Newman, Klaus Nomi. Uh, I will never get over. See, that's the first time I'd ever seen Klaus Nomi singing that total eclipse. And I'd never seen anything so bizarre in my life except John Cooper Clark, who's in there who did an acapella thing uh, called Health Fanatic. And uh, this buddy of mine used to stand up in the, um, you know, he would get a little high. And at dinner time uh, in the cafeteria, he, he's been known to jump up on the table. And one of the things he would do was a monologue from the movie Airplane, where he would go, check it, bleed, the bro was on, and the people was freaking. Do that whole thing. And uh, then he would also jump up and do the uh, John Cooper Clark health fanatic. It's like round the clock, round the block, tick tock, tick tock, tick tick tock, running out of time, running out of time, hippity hop, uh, non-skin agility. Oh, it's just crazy crap, but it was just wonderful. And John Cooper Clark was a, he looked like a racer head, but it was really cool. Also got to see <laughs> Look at that. X scene was on there at well, the band X. Uh, Devo and UB40. My gosh, so many great performances. Erg, a musical war. And I looked for it for years and years and years. Finally, finally found it. See what I have in my hand here? The the, the audience can't see the video. Oh, I'm hold it up. That's it, baby. Yep, that's it. I've got, got that too. I, I've got, got that, that too. too. Oh, is that vinyl? <clears throat> Yep, it's vinyl. Dang, I got a CD, but I, I, I love that as well. Great. My number three is from another band that I just dearly love called U2, and it's the Rattle and Hum from 1988. A pretty damn good. Oh, man, I, remember the, I remember that movie coming out. Yeah, yeah real good documentary. They, it's right on the heels of the highly successful Joshua Tree album. And they came out and they did a, a live Rattle and Hum uh, album and the movie. Um, one of my favorite parts was when they were uh, doing When Love Comes to Town with B.B. King. Oh, my God. I love that. 
but I just did like do, the whole movie. Did they do a version of All Along the Watchtower? Yes, yes, yes. It's so good. I just love talk about guitar interplayer. Uh, I mean, guitar innovators. Edge is another one that I just really admire. Uh, a band, you know, I'd never seen a band. That I told you, man, I never appreciated him until I checked out that documentary that uh, that Jim recommended. That what uh, this this might get loud. Yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea he was that he was that damn slick a guitar player. He's great. And, well, oh. The thing that got me was to see a band that successful uh, with a guitar player that just plays rhythm. I mean, you know. It's, uh, well, except except he doesn't really just play rhythm. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's not. I mean, it's no no lead guitar things going on. He plays it's, rhythm like Keith Richards plays rhythm. Oh God, that's pretty funky. But yeah, basically, I mean, when you think about you two being a uh, drums, bass, and guitar, and then Bono, I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of tripping, man, how much they put out just the four of them. But I, uh, you know, and I've got friends. Um, dang, I've got so many friends that are naysayers. And I'll say, I have man, no I friends at all, anywhere. Yeah, I don't blame <laughs> you. I don't blame you. I don't even, I don't even like you. Uh, <laughs> I love you, but I don't like you. Um, but there's a, uh, yeah, anyway, that's it. I got off track because I'm down to my top two, my top two of all freaking time, all freaking time. This next one, number two, my friend, the late, great Bill Hudson and I went to a theater in 1974 to see this movie. And we were the only two people in the theater at nine o'clock at night, just two O's. It was called Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, oh, God. God. Paul Williams, little short Paul Williams, wrote. Swan. It played Swan, the most evil character, but he also wrote all the songs in this movie. And the soundtrack just kicks butt. I fell in love head over heels with Jessica Harper, who played Phoenix. Phoenix, as uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and uh, uh, actor named Garrett Graham played Beef, who was like the glitter rock star. But I didn't know until yesterday, after all these years, that he wasn't the one singing. It was uh, uh, another guy uh, named Ray Kennedy who did the voice. Uh, but yet, uh, Garrett Graham embodied sort of like a Darth Vader kind of thing. Uh, William Finley is Winslow Leach. Another thing I didn't know about the movie until yesterday was that uh, the uh, introduction, I thought it sounded, I said, well, introduction, the beginning sounds like Rod Serling. Well, it was Rod Serling, uncredited, but it was him doing the uh, setup for the movie. But there's, uh, there's just a, a bunch of great songs, but the two that Jessica Harper does are my favorites. And one that I'm going to play at the end of the show today is one that I have, uh, if you'll forgive me for being morbid as hell, I have a, a will and in my will, I put that I'd like to have a uh, celebratory uh, party after I'm gone, which a lot of people will probably love to attend that. <laughs> and I had all these songs on a disc that my son has that I want to play at the thing and one of them is from phantom of the paradise 
is Jessica Harper singing this song called Old Souls. And it just kills me. Uh, it's basically, uh, you know, we're old souls in a new life, baby. We've been given an another chance to live and learn, blah, 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 blah. Oh my gosh. It's just, it just tugs at my heartstrings. Phantom of the Paradise is my number two, which uh, leads me to my number one. A movie that I am going to admit that I've seen over 400 times. Yes, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> <laughs> I became the. It's astounding. Uh, Time is fleeting. I uh, actually became the president of the South Carolina branch <laughs> of the fan club back then and was in touch with the pres national president, Sal Perro in New York. And uh, I had to like lead, you know, we started not just dressing up, but started acting out the scenes in front of the movie screen while it was going on. Every week I dressed up like Meatloaf's character, Eddie, <laughs> with a gash on my head and a leather jacket, motorcycle jacket. And I ended up, to make a short story long, uh, when I was in Atlanta, I did the Rocky Horror Show stage show and played Eddie and Dr. Scott for uh, quite a while and got to sing that, whatever happened this Saturday night. But I love the music. Richard O'Brien, who... You talk about a great interview. One of my favorite interviews I ever did was this Richard O'Brien who wrote all the songs, wrote the movie, wrote everything. Just a very, uh, I don't know, just a really nice guy when I talked to him. But uh, yes, you know, I'm going to admit that I'm just a sweet transvestite is one of my favorite songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Tim Curry. I became such a fan of Tim Curry. I mean, golly, bomb. I was such a fan. And in that 1980, 80, 80 or 81, we were in Atlanta and we went to the Agora and we saw uh, one night we saw the Pretenders and the next night Tim Curry, Eddie and the Hot Rods played and then a band that I was friends with called the Basics played. And then Curry, <clears throat> so wonderful. And what's so weird is that one month later, I was in with uh, my former girlfriend who just passed away, Holly Wilson in New Jersey. And I was living in Long Branch. And we went to Broadway. Her boss, she worked at Lord & Taylor's. Uh, and her boss got us front row on Broadway for Amadeus. And Tim Curry played Mozart. And um, Sir Ian McClellan played Sadieri. And we had Jane Seymour. And then Holly, uh, what a go-getter that redhead was. She took us around after the show to the backstage door where we got to meet these people as they came out. And Jane Seymour kissed me on the cheek. <laughs> I've told that way too many times. Then Ian McClellan was right behind her and he says, well, I'm not going to kiss you. And I said, thank you. <laughs> and Tim comes out. And I know Tim Curry from Rocky Horror. He's larger than life. He's just this little, short, shy guy. You know, he's like, at the time, he had just a huge head of hair. And, uh, you know, he's, he's just like got his head down. He's come by and I'm like, excuse me, Tim, will you sign my playbill? 
And he goes, certainly. Also, I've got a couple of pictures too. Will you sign them? He's like, you know, this was before eBay, so they, nobody cared. But anyway, that's a lot of information, but I just get excited thinking about the, how much fun that that movie and the, all the things that branched off of Rocky Horror. I met lifelong friends uh, at those uh, midnight movies. It was really cool. And uh, anyway, that's me. Rocky Horror Picture Show. We're going to what was it? I used to play a commercial on the radio that had um, Richard O'Brien talking. Uh, he said something about, please come and see the Rocky Horror Picture Show where we're going to. Uh, I lost it now. Damn it. I'm sorry. Uh, belt you about the mouth and mouth, mouth you're around the belt. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. But then again, you know, it's astounding. Time is fleeting and, and I'm out of my mind. I think I should have never taken that uh, last pill that I took a while ago. <sighs> Wait a minute, is that all, all that is is a vitamin. That's not going to do it. All that being said, which is something I say way too often, it's time to go to the definitive source. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, especially this time. <laughs> well, it's still, we, we, we always wait with bated breath to see what Patrick Beach is going to say. I do. <clears throat> well, so, uh, go ahead. I tried to set some parameters. I said last week when you announced the topic that I was just going to do music docs and that didn't work. And then I thought maybe I should think about the music movies or movies about music that I've watched the most. But of course, we probably talked about those. Of course, we've talked about Spinal Tap. Of course, we've talked about Stop Making Sense. Uh, of course, we've talked about Control and uh, semi-companion narrative film uh, to control 24-hour party people which is about the, the broader Manchester factory records scene. I'm a little surprised that nobody brought up Hedwig and the Angry Edge, which is a terrific narrative film. But, uh, and I'm going to have to do some last minute scratches on this because I've got at least 10. I guess I've got some somewhat obscure choices. Beginning with speaking of the Ramones, uh, a live DVD set, Ramones, It's Alive, which has 25 years of uh, nothing but live performances starting in 1974. It's really great. Some of the early stuff, of course, is really, really raw, but right. <clears throat> and you know what? My cover is different, Jim. Really? Yeah, I think it is. But uh, like you, I've watched every documentary about the Ramones that I can get my hands on, and they were miserable, miserable people. They were miserable alone. They were miserable with each other. They were horrible with each other, and they made this joyful music. And if I want to see them on my TV, I want to watch them rock my face off, and that's what It's Alive does. <clears throat> um. I'm pretty sure we've talked about 20 feet from stardom before. So I'm going to pass on that. Great That's movie. one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
my next two are less than perfect movies and probably for fans only. Uh, one is called Color Me Obsessed, which is a movie about the mm-hmm. replacements that doesn't have any replacements music in it. And it's 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 largely about the uh, the Minneapolis scene uh, that the replacements were uh, on the leading edge of. And uh, there's a, I, I've been thinking more about that movie because uh, just this week I watched this uh, this series on Minnesota Public Radio called Minnesota Hardcore or the Fall of Midwestern Civilization. And of course, the replacements <laughs> figure figure prominently in that. Jim, I hope you get a chance to watch that because it's pretty I, good. I haven't yet, but I'm looking forward to it for sure. But yeah, Color Me Obsessed is lacking the replacements music. It's lacking any interviews with Bob Stinson. Tommy's in it, but uh, but it's still, a, you can tell that the filmmakers had the very best of intentions, even with very, very severe limitations made a pretty good, if not definitive documentary film about the replacements. Similarly, a not perfect movie because of the the limitations the filmmakers faced is DOA, A Rite of Passage, which is a film about the fairly disastrous uh, Sex Pistols U.S. tour. The filmmakers were not authorized to make this movie, so they conned, wheedled, and conjoled their their way into all these venues and uh, and saw a band fall apart in front of them on stage. The famous ha ha ha, ever get the feeling you've been cheated? <clears throat> and Alejandro, Alejandro's band was opening for them at that last show in San Francisco. The nuns. And, along with the along with the Avengers, who we saw right. a couple years ago with uh, Stiff Little Fingers. Yes, the, that's right. Early, and, but uh, at the at the time to- at the time, the bass player for the Avengers was James Calvin Wilsey, who went on to be Chris Isaac's lead player mm-hmm. and did the riff to uh, Wicked Game. And uh, and uh, the the the, 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 the weird the weird the weird uh, postscript to Alejandro's band opening their last show is Al was staying at the Hotel Chelsea when Sid killed Nancy. Sorry, allegedly killed Nancy. (laughs) And the the film also has some just really horrifying footage of them in their squalid flop at the Chelsea and Sid keeps nodding off and setting the bed on fire with a cigarette. Well, it turns, it turns out Al was, was coming back to the Chelsea and there were all these police cars around it. And that was not an unusual occurrence by any means at that point. But he said, what's going on? And said, I just heard from somebody upstairs. It looks like Nancy got stabbed and she's dead. It is largely about the pistols tour, which of course had, two dates in texas but there's also some other british punk stuff in it uh the rich kids and a completely forgettable band called terry and the idiots <laughs> it's it's very very raw uh, but it's 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 a priceless document to me because when i was i think still in high school a friend of me and jim's had it and we watched it on vhs tape and i've been waiting for decades for it to come out on dvd and just a couple of years ago uh i i found it and i said hey honey christmas is coming up and i want this movie so on christmas night her and the kids and her parents went to go play bingo 
And I said, I'll see you later. I'm staying here and I'm watching this movie that I haven't seen in 30 years. DOA, a rite of passage. Um, I love that one. Yeah. I wanted to interject something real quick, Pat. The uh, early, when we first started doing the show back last last spring, uh, one of my book recommendations was a book by uh, Noel Monk, who was a the road manager for yep. that t- tour yep. and anybody that's interested in this, uh, in, in that documentary that you just recommended, uh, they, they wrote a book called 12 days in, in America. And there's a lot in there about that film crew and that, that it was unofficial and they kept getting tossed out of the venues. Right. But, but then the, but then the, uh, but then the road crew would let them back in and would sometimes let them have a live, uh, audio feed right out of board man for their you know for their mm-hmm. sound and, and uh and it hit me when you were talking about you get to see the band just fall apart and they're filming it and there's a lot of that in that book about the the dysfunct well yeah you know i mean you know Sid Vicious, he was a junkie you know and uh but it, anyway so go ahead I, I didn't mean to interrupt but that's a that's a great companion book to that to uh to that documentary yeah it is it really is i need to go back and read that again let's see well since jim got motown i'm gonna go with respect yourself the story of stacks records the uh yeah slightly slightly grittier more down home uh uh answer to motown uh i watched that in the middle of the deep freeze for the first time in several years. And man, I love everything was, was on the stacks in their heyday. And the cool thing about that little company was they were pretty well vertically integrated. They had the talent pool. They had the studio in that old movie theater. They had the record store next door and they, they had uh, speakers, of course, blasting out the latest singles onto the street to get kids into the store. And it's like, okay, what are the kids buying this week? Okay, that, let's make another record that sounds like that. It sounds really crass, but man, they had such immense players. And, and the music was being made by kids as well. The only thing they couldn't master, and this really is, is why Big Star wound up being a a huge commercial failure was distribution and they had some money problems along the way too but man you watch this movie and it's barely more than an hour it's maybe 70 minutes it's like oh my god i gotta dig out all my stack stuff so many great sides and so many great stories came out of that studio of course i want to mention drive-by truckers at the 40 watt Back around 2005, Dirty South time, best iteration of the band to my ears before or since, but I've talked about that show a lot. And I want to talk about uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Albert King, just the two of them sitting and yeah. playing guitars in a public, public television studio. Uh, the DVD is called In Session. And it's just, they're so admiring of each other. And it's just two guys playing guitar and it's just <laughs> jaw dropping. But I didn't mention that. So I'm going to finish with. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. Right. So that one don't count. <laughs> right. I, have, I have made it down this long, long road without mentioning 
the Rolling Stones. Jim may recall that in 1981, when I first saw the Rolling Stones, and I think you did too, just a few nights after that, they uh, barged into Buddy Guy's Checkerboard Lounge in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they joined Muddy Waters and literally a cast of thousands for a set that is simply called Muddy Waters Checkerboard Lounge, live Chicago, 1981. In addition to all the Stones, excluding Charlie Watts, I think there's Buddy Guy, of course, Junior Wells, Lefty Diz. Uh, my favorite scene in the movie is when Mud invites the Stones up on stage. The place is so small and so crowded. Uh, apparently, Buddy said that club never made money, and he was hoping that when he had the Stones in, they would finally, like, get some cover charges at the door, but the entourage that the stones brought was so huge that everybody got comped. But you see Keith Richards like climbing over tables to get to the stage. It was that crowded. And it's a great set. Even before mud comes out, it's a great set when muddy and everybody else is playing. And it's really, really great when the stones are playing. And I never, ever get tired of watching this. And the funny thing is when I first saw the stones, I had no idea who Muddy Waters was. He was dead before I knew who he was. And I didn't know until years and years later that just two or three days after I first saw them, they showed up at the checkerboard. But man, if I could go back in time and see that now, oh, I would I would do unspeakable things to the door manager or whoever would let me oh. in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that sounds a little weird. I mean, it's it's a who's who of Chicago blues at the time, even before Mud and even before the Stones. Yeah, and I just love it. So that's my number one, and I'm gonna close with just two more words. Whoa, yeah. Oh boy, yeah. Need a good E chord behind that. Um, they um, those are all so good. Uh. I made a note. I've, I did not know about this. It's Alive Ramones. I got to find that. Um, Jim will send you his. Jim will send you his. <laughs> sure he will. The uh, honorable mentions I meant to mention on mine because, I, you know, there's so many, right? But I just wanted to give a tip of the hat or tip of the stets and a, or the, in my case, ball cap to... The wonderful, two of these are from 1984, back when I was in college. Uh, Purple Rain, Mr. Prince. Oh, yeah. A fantastic movie, fantastic soundtrack. That soundtrack was amazing. And, and he still remains, bless his heart, one of the my favorite artists of all time, just all around. And I heard a guy, uh, Eddie Murphy, last night. I was going through YouTube and called Eddie Murphy in an interview with Jimmy Fallon. And he was talking about the time that Prince and some of his friends challenged Eddie Murphy and them to a Ping basketball pong. game. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. And the Prince was wearing like these little shorts. And I think uh, Eddie called it a uh, waist bracelet. <laughs> thing around his waist like a break and he said it was so bizarre the other guys on prince's team were all dressed like prince and he said here we are out there in our basketball 
you know, clothes. Uh, and of course, they said he said Prince and them proceeded to whip their ass. <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Purple Rain, uh, I've mentioned it a thousand times, but Almost Famous is just a fantastic movie from 2000. Documentaries, man. Fallen Angel uh, about Grant Parsons. Oh, yeah, it's man. wonderful. Wonderful. Well, here was the thing. I didn't, I didn't get as much out of that as probably a lot of other people did, but a lot of the stuff that was in there, I already knew anyway. Yeah, so, it, you know, so it wasn't a whole lot. Of, oh, wow. That's cool. Oh, I didn't know that. It, you know, but it was interesting uh, getting, uh, you know, hearing uh, Chris Hillman's take on, on what it was like working with Graham Parsons and, and, and uh, especially through that stones, you know, through that stones period. And yeah. anyway, go ahead. That was, no, uh, man. Yeah. 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 Uh, part Graham Parsons. Um, oh, I had a, something I was going to say about that, but man, as I get older, I can't remember something five seconds ago, you know, it's crazy. Uh, the other honorable mentions I wanted to tap, uh, hit on tap on, uh, was spinal tap. Uh, this is spinal tap 1984. Um, just, wonderful wonderful funny but uh like you guys had said earlier um i believe it was billy i'm not sure i can't yeah, remember man, them guys are quality musicians and quality actually cutters, christopher man. guest and uh and michael mccann uh, they, yeah they're just great they did a great job uh another one uh one other that i wanted to mention uh saw in the theater it was a martin scorsese film called shine a light on the rolling stones and uh, that movie. I thought you were fixing to say The Last Waltz. <laughs> Not The Last Waltz. Yeah, well, I liked it. I actually did. But uh, the uh, uh, Shine a Light, you know, basically, basically a concert film. But Scorsese did it, you know, so you got to see a whole bunch of backstage <laughs> stuff and all. And my buddy Chuck Lavelle was all over that thing. Is the uh, That's where I first found out. I had no idea that Chuck was... Um, Basically, they told him to, he would create the set list every night. So he's got these binders with all these songs, you know, thousands of songs, probably hundreds, if not thousands, um, to pick from. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, Buddy Guy's in that doing Buddy Guy. champagne and reefer. I love that. Man, got the blues. Took the, <laughs> took the whole family to see that at the IMAX. For the first time, that's probably my favorite Stones concert movie. Oh, but the first the first time we saw it was at the IMAX, and on a screen that big, I those, saw that. I love those, that. Those, right, those, right. those wrinkles in Keith's face, Keith's face are, <laughs> they, are like as deep as the Grand Canyon. You know, I mean, I call <sighs> I call them his beauty marks. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, he is just a beautiful guy. I mean, he looks and there's like that. A, there's that great bit. I think it's in the middle of champagne and reefer where he's smoking a cigarette and he just like <laughs> blasts it out of his mouth. Oh, great. Hadn't he, quit, hadn't he quit smoking? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I'm a big Keith fan. You know, his biography I thought was so good. And, you know, remember the, the story that, uh, I just never did find out if it was true where they said that he had, uh, snorted some of his dad's ashes did you hear that he 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 later took that back okay that was a little weird but i thought well you know it's okay you could be part of your 
you know, have a part of your family with you all the time if you do that. Um, anyway, that's it. So, uh, no, next week. I, I got, no, I got next week's, man. Oh, I've already got it right here. Mine's no. butter. No, it's not. I bet it is. <laughs> I bet it's not. Okay, go ahead and give it to me. Good okay, God, here's one. <laughs> next week, fans or artists that you should like, but you don't. I got the idea of this when when Jim was talking about rushing and the Eagles and these are great bands and 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 so bands that, that everything being equal you should like them but you but you don't. I'm making Pat think this is much better, man. Well, you don't got, even know what mine is. How can you say that? I, oh. No, I, I mean, uh, I, well, because normally we don't see Pat think. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, okay, we'll do yours. We'll do yours next, and the week after that, we'll okay. do mine. That'd be great. I, mine, I, I like to give them a title. Okay. And this one is Diamonds in the Rough. Bands or artists that you may that you love that may not have achieved huge success, but they deserve to be heard. You're expecting oh, Billy to remember this for two weeks. That's no. that's like my that's like my entire record collection. That's what that's I was right. going to say, man. I, that's that's you know, yeah. That's it's like open every, up a that's, a, that's almost point. every single thing I like is yeah. going to be on that. But for for next week, it's going to be. I should like this person, but I don't. It, it, it's artists that that, uh, that that you should like them, and for for whatever reason, you don't. I can't figure out why. Uh, well, why, here's how we say you should like them. Is that because the consensus is well, really like popular? Like they, it's, it's like, uh, it doesn't matter, man, but it's like stuff like the Eagles. Uh, the kind of music oh. me and Jim play the most. Me and Jim should both be real. We should be big Eagles fans. Neither one of us are. No. And, you know, and, and what's funny is, some of their songs that they had big hits with, especially the ones that were written or co-written by Jackson Brown. I love to hear Jackson Brown do them. Yeah. And there was a time when I liked to hear the, the Eagles do them. But, I mean, their songwriters, you know, guys like uh, Jackson Brown and, uh, uh, damn, the actor guy uh, that wrote New Kid in Town. I'm blanking on his name. Did J.D. Souther write that? J.D. Souther. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. J.D. Souther. I mean, all these great, great songwriters. And and when Bernie Ledden was in the band, it's, I oh, mean, and it, it had and, and two of my favorite bass players of all time were in that band. And I should really, really like them. And I don't. Well, I mean, you, you know, know I, the Eagles, man, let me just tell you, I loved them at the when they did the Desperado album. Well, uh, and, and I loved all that stuff. And then Hotel California, of course, when it first came out, I liked that song. Me, I, me too. I don't ever want to hear it again, but I liked it then. And, but, but the Desperado with Bernie Ledden and all, uh, Doolin Dalton and all that stuff, man. Yeah. Mm -mm, that was good. And, but, and Pat, and Pat's going to lose his mind. Another a band like that for <laughs> me is to drive by truck. Oh I, I I should I should like him and did one time for about a month. A month. <laughs> yeah, I did. And man, hey, they're great. I the songs are great. 
The musicianship is great. The, uh, it's all great. I should like it. I, I don't. <laughs> Mike, Mike, Michael just said this, but Billy, you know what it means in Texas. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it means fuck you. <laughs> but yeah. And, and you know, yeah. But uh, Pam, I, I you, uh, Pam was that way about uh, Dixie Chicks. And she said, you know, they're good writers and they play well. And Pam really likes bluegrass. And she's like, I should love that band. But I don't. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. See, that's another one of my guilty pleasures. I love those girls. Um, Don't need to feel guilty. Don't need to feel guilty. No, no, that's what I'm saying. This isn't. I'm, I'm not asking for for bands that, you know, that are that are popular, that, you know, you feel that they're a guilty pleasure. I'm talking about real real acts that that you know that by everything else in your musical taste says you should like this i mean if you well i I was still so like uh i don't know man so so pat if it's like a cross between like kiss with springsteen fronting them and they're only playing thunder road (laughs) and you're like yeah you should be on board with that and there's a band that does that and pat's like yeah man they're good but man Well, when you talk about that, and it was mentioned earlier, I think Jim mentioned the band Rush. That's that's got to be on my list because I mean, it's like everybody, all my friends are like, "Go, man, dig that Rush album." I'm like, man, I couldn't listen to that shit five minutes without going. (laughs) My my thing with that is it's a it's a different it's a different style, and and like Jim said, they're not my taste. I'm talking more about bands that would normally be something you would like for some reason you don't like it I, i've heard this it's like with those midwest sound rocker guys man uh uh guys like uh, uh mellencamp and i actually like mellencamp i know people that really like that kind of music and don't like him they just they don't they don't care for him and i'm thinking Man, for that sort of Midwest Heartland rock, I mean, he's the fucking gold standard. Well, I mean, they were say he did two albums that I just loved, and then after that, what? I, well, I did well, uh, the Uh Huh, and then the uh, Scarecrow, and I love both of those. Very, that was more of my college. You know, I, it, I guess everything is back to my college days when we played music twenty four hours a day, just about. I mean, all the time, and uh, that's where I first heard John Cougar. Uh, I don't no, know if he. I'm not sure he started. It was calling himself Mellencamp yet. Uh, it was John Cougar for a while. Um, I don't know, but anyway, the uh huh was the uh, pink but, houses and tumbling down, right? Dak and Diane, everything on that one, right? But our topic is the the question is before the panel is it's it's stuff that you should like, but you don't. Uh, you know. I'll have to think on that. I'm still having a hard well, time. Well, that's how come I that's how come I picked that. I was I mean, we got just, a week. We got a week. Got so a week. We don't, need to, yeah. don't need to do it now. Well, right. I got three of them written down over here. But the uh, I just I don't know. It's just Billy's topics. I have to. It's like I have to think real hard. Yeah, I try to <laughs> I try to pick things to make everybody think real hard. That's funny. I and I don't. I'm just like, oh, oh, and I got and I who's the and I got next week's and I got next week's uh fidelity high fidelity. Oh, good. Voice. I'm glad to hear that. 
Because that, I know, that gives takes a little bit off of me. I, I probably ought to give you all a week to think about it. <laughs> nah, the, the fun of it is doing it off the top of your head. Yeah, that's yeah, what you're supposed you're not, to you're That's not the whole game. Next, you're not going to think that next week. The whole game it's is okay. uh, like, they did okay. in the, like they did in the movie, High Fidelity. You know, it's like, just pop the question, and okay, and you got answer right now. Uh, and that's the trip because you, uh, you know, you don't really have too much time to decide what you're going to say. Of course, if you're the first guy picked out of the four of us, or you last got picked, you've had plenty of time by then to figure out how you're going to be one up the other guys. <laughs> but now, anyway, I don't, worry about, I don't ever worry about one up and anybody. I'm just always happy. If I can think of even one thing, Yeah, it doesn't have to be five or three. If I, admit, I thought of one. <laughs> Uh, calling yeah. that a win <laughs> yeah sounds good well that all that is great and uh so we'll go with billy's uh topic that he just talked about <laughs> next week and then we'll got one for the week after that uh provided that you know the planet is still uh spinning it's, yeah it's gonna be <laughs> yeah yeah i hope so they um all right well y'all Thanks so much. That was really good. I, I uh, to the end. Good I'm show going to uh, play a record. Uh, we're going to say goodbye to the guys. And this is going to be from the Phantom of the Paradise soundtrack. Miss Jessica Harper and a song by Paul Williams called Old Souls. And we will talk at you later.
That was the beautiful and extremely talented Jessica Harper, uh, who I uh, first heard of through that 1974 film, Phantom of the Paradise. You know, later on, she starred with, uh, co-starred with Cliff DeYoung in a uh, sequel to Rocky Horror called Shock Treatment. Uh, Jessica has just a wonderful, pure singing voice. And now for 30, 40 years, I have enjoyed the soundtrack to Phantom of the Paradise, especially the two songs that Jessica sings. But that's going to wrap the program up. I want to say thank you again to my friends and colleagues, uh, Patrick Beach, Jim Hemphill, and Billy Eli. Pardon me, uh, I'm having a little belching thing. I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> uh, uh, yeah, please bear with me. I'm sorry about that. But I want to say that, man, I had a good time today. I hope you did. And uh, we've got, we just have a great time. These guys are just, uh, Billy and Pat and Jim are all very, oh gosh, very intelligent guys, which also so connected with media and music as musicians and writers and performers and and uh, man, they can talk about any subject on an intelligent level. And that just makes me happier than a pig in slop. <laughs> good guys, man. Good guys, good guys. I love them. Uh, the program, the Kudzu Radio Hour, which usually runs a couple of hours, by the way, <laughs> uh, brought to you by springer mountain farms springer mountain farms down there in georgia the capital the chicken capital of freaking world in my book they have fresh chicken responsibly raised on family farms now that's very important family farms not some corporate bs family farmers and we support them 100 percent every day family farms um i even go down near my house to us there's a produce stand down here uh right near my house called hobo holler <laughs> fresh vegetables and fruit and stuff in there it also sells slices of hoop cheese which i love but i go in there and get chow chow uh my gosh just everything plus um beans black eyed peas um green beans man when in season strawberries uh everything man i love that place and they did not pay me to say it i just really love hobo holler but anyway um get your springer mountain farms chicken i get mine at the ingles grocery store down here about a mile from my house uh in the frozen meat section skinless boneless chicken breast is my favorite they also have chicken strips and uh all sorts of things you can order like a whole chicken a pre-cooked that you can just microwave i've had that i had that around christmas time it was wonderful 
I uh, encourage you to go over to springermountain.com, uh, springermtn.com. Check out all the different uh, types of chicken packages they have. You can pick them up at the grocery store or you can order online and have it delivered to your doorstep in a, in a cool uh, pack that will keep it cool and fresh. Can't beat it. Springer Mountain Farms Chicken. That's all I got to say about that for the moment. Wonderful, wonderful. Other sponsor we have is a band. Not just any old band, but a band called the Bots Masters. Led by Bud Thornton and J.D. Andrew, who write all the songs. And they have just so, so many great songs. And they just keep churning them out, churning them out. I mean... There are several albums worth of material that I've got because, you know, because I'm a friend of theirs that has yet to be released. Uh, but I'm going to tell you one thing. Light Rays, the latest, is the best ever. You need to check this album out and get it on vinyl or CD or downloads. Go to the website because, you know, it's theboxmasters.com. Uh, you can buy autographs, uh, merchandise. If you want Billy Bob Thornton's autograph, JD's autograph, um, they'll sign the products for you. They also have a store online. They, they sell other albums and CDs, but they also tell, sell t-shirts, Boxmasters ashtrays while they last, uh, uh, other, many other things, all sorts of great things at theboxmasters.com and please follow them on Instagram boxmasters official because JD he puts a bunch of pictures up every day all the things over the 13 years that they have been a band and some of them are just wonderful you know pictures of them with like with Willie Nelson or when they toured with Willie Nelson and Ray Price Oh my gosh, can you imagine how great that was? Um, and so many other things too. It's just fine. Bud Thornton and JD Andrew are just talented, fun, rocking guys. Theboxmasters.com. Well, that does wrap us up for today. I want to say thank you from the bottom of my little old pee picking heart. <laughs> thank you for listening, and we hope you'll. Tune in again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. As for right now, I am out of here. Y'all take care of one another. Stay safe. Yeah. <laughs>